I can't always say I've been the nicest person, but I did what I thought was best in the moment. And uh, the decision to, to basically, I say, to forgive my father was a simple one. He was a person. He made mistakes. And no matter how difficult or how bad those mistakes were, or, you know, what choices we make in the moment afterward, it's important that we either forgive and move on or we have to live in that same moment over and over again and it's not worth it. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today I'm speaking with Juan Alleman. Welcome, Juan. Thank you, Ronit. Uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. So I read in your bio that you actually w were an actor for a little while in LA. Is that right? Yes, I was. Not a very successful one. I've been more successful here in Washington, but yes. Yeah, because, you know, I was in L.A. myself pursuing acting, and I don't know, I don't think we talked about that. Um, I was living in New York, and I moved out to L.A. in about 2000, and I was acting, so I was acting in New York, and I was also acting in L.A., but then I packed up my bags after my daughter was born, and I was like, I'm done here. <laughs> How long did you stay in L.A.? I only stayed in L.A. just a few months. Uh, probably should have given it more time, but I got a little bit afraid, cold feet, uh -huh. and I joined the Army. Okay. And so how long were you in the Army? Five years. Okay. And did you... I don't personally have family members in my my closest part of my relatives that were in, mili in the military. So how was that experience for you? It was life-changing. You get to know a lot of people from a lot of different parts of the world and specifically parts of this country that you never really quite understood about. Mm -hmm. You heard things about people from certain areas and how they would be. And it turns out they're just stereotypes that really aren't real. And then you find these things out and then you meet so many good people and you meet bad people, you know, as well. Some people that just wanted or have to be there because they had no other choice. Mm -hmm. I had choices, but um, in the end, I really wanted to serve my country once I got there. Had had that been something you thought about in the back of your mind, or did it just strike you when you were in L.A. trying to act? I mean, how did that decision come about for you? I thought about it for a long time before I made the decision. Mm -hmm. My friend who'd actually been in the Marine Corps, he got out a few months later. I was living there with him and his wife at the time. Uh, he told me, I can't be a civilian. I, I don't I don't like this. Hmm. He he liked the regimented lifestyle that the military lent to his life. Mm -hmm. What I liked about it was that it did. It gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me a sense of pride. It gave me three meals a day and yeah. told me what to wear, where to be, what time to be there. And I had no questions about it. And it made life easy for a little while. Mm -hmm. Were you someone who wanted structure in your life? Did you grow up with structure? I didn't grow up with much structure and I needed that. Mm -hmm. What was growing up like for you 
when you say you needed the structure, was was there not a lot of parenting or why do you feel like you needed that? Both my parents worked and uh, I guess what became a popular phrase in the 80s was uh, latchkey kids. I was one. Were you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think we must have like, I think, I bet you were like the same. Oh yeah. We are the same birth year. We talked about that. Yes. We talked yeah, about that. Yeah. We had that. like parallel lives. So I was latchkey kidding in New York and Queens to an apartment and you were latchkey. Was it in Texas? East Texas. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I'm a ma'am. Um, and do you, did you have, <laughs> do you have siblings? I have two older siblings. Uh, by the time I was really cognizant of everything that's going on, mm-hmm. my oldest sister was already, she's six years older, so I'm 10 to 12 years old, mm. and she's already working every day. My other sister just came home with me, and we hung out and did homework and watched TV, made something to eat, and <laughs> waited yeah, I know. So, <laughs> that was that was the typical day. Yeah, and was your mom a single mom? Actually, she got remarried when I was very young. Uh, my parents were divorced, mm-hmm. and she got remarried when I was quite young, and uh, we grew up with our stepdad, but our stepdad was more of a guy that um, he went from pajamas to work clothes, and that was all he wore. Mm-hmm. So he was he like close to you guys? Did you have a relationship with him? I have a better relationship with him now, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother passed away about 11 years ago, and uh, he really started taking to talking more. Mm-hmm. And I felt he, he took that opportunity to let us know that, he, that, that it wasn't anything that he meant to do. It was just that you know, he felt he needed to to be that guy to take care of what was going on outside the house, the bills and the food and the clothes. And mm-hmm. um, and he was there for my mom as well. He was there with her till the day she died. And I appreciate him for that. So had he had a family prior to you guys or were you his first kids? We were his first kids. And so I guess I don't want to put words into your mouth, but the sense I'm getting is that he was maybe removed from the like emotional landscape of the family? A bit. I would say yes. I would agree with that. Um, it's really hard to say. Maybe that, 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 was, that was his type of way of showing emotion was to give you the stuff that you needed. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the, the, mm-hmm. the character in Fences, you know, when he says, where does it mm-hmm. say anywhere that I have to love you? Have you ever starved for anything? Mm -hmm. Have you ever needed for anything? He says, no. Well, then, I gave you what you needed. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I love that show, by the Mm -hmm. way. But um, I think that that's that's how he felt, is that he just needed to be there for us, but didn't really need to say much. Mm -hmm. And your mom, was she a source of closeness for you? Yes, I would say yes, definitely. We've talked in an earlier conversation, and it sounds like you you were not in touch with your birth father during these years. Is that right? Not really. Um, maybe every other summer we might see him, but he worked when we were there. So we spent time with my stepmom and my half-brother and sister if we were there, mm-hmm. which... Um, you know, I got to know them well, 
mm-hmm. and really cared for them, but it it made uh, the relationship with my father distant. So can you talk a little bit about um, when the last time was that you had lived with your father and, and just tell that story a little bit? Like when you were a kid, you know, you said your parents divorced really early. Do you have memories when you were real young of your father in the house? Never. Mm-hmm. Never. Do your sisters? Yes, they do. Um, one of the things my father did until later on in life uh, was drink very heavily. And um, my older sister, for the longest time, uh, was a bit scared of him, I would say. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know what to expect when I met him. Because it was such that the way she described him made it difficult to uh, kind of want to meet him. Mm-hmm. Did you feel when you were a kid, you know, I'm thinking of your latchkey years. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a situation where, uh, just to give you some background, my dad was a single dad. So we didn't see my mom uh, except for the weekends for a while. So... I know what my my daily life was like and what my kind of pattern of thought was, but kind of knew how I oriented myself toward her and what she represented to me. Are you aware of thinking about your dad when you were growing up? Because it sounds like you had a stepdad in the house and your mom was working and he was working and you're the youngest and you know about your father, but you haven't actually, like, how old were you when you actually met him? I don't remember exactly how old I was. Um, I know we had to have met when I was young and there are pictures of us together when I was a baby and maybe two years old or so, but I don't remember them. But um, Mm -hmm. it scared me that he wouldn't meet because how do I put this? You want your father to, to be the the expectations of everything you ever wanted in a dad. Uh, Someone who loves you, someone who cares about you, someone who listens to you, tells good jokes, uh, all the, all the cool things. And uh, he couldn't have met that, that image. I remember telling my mom several times, I just want to go live with my dad. And she's, and then one time she just said, he doesn't want you. And I was like, wow. That really hurt, <laughs> you know, so. Um, yeah, it's sort of like that parent who's not there. I mean, at least for me, became sort of this hero, mm-hmm. this, you know, this source right. of salvation or something. And if anything ever went wrong, here would come dad to scoop me up, you know, and uh, it just um, when I met him, when I remember meeting him, it just kind of wasn't. He was. He was just a, another guy. And that was mm-hmm. strange to me. I wanted him to be different. And he and I yeah. think as we grow up, we find out that our parents are just people. They're nothing more, nothing less than other people who happen to be our parents. And I never realized that till I got older and saw my parents in a different light. But it's a funny juxtaposition because you yourself are a father and you know you're just a person. So, you know, 
you know that you're just human and you have these kids. And yet I think it's hard to remember that in relation to our own parents. Right. I agree completely. I remember thinking, what if my son or my daughter comes up to me and asks me about what's supposed to, what am I supposed to wear to school tomorrow? Or when is this trip? Or when is that? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. You know, (laughs) (laughs) well, right. But what about that? I mean, what's your, what's your relationship to wanting to be a hero father then? It's telling them I love you when they need to hear it or just when I want to say it to them, it's being there even um, when it's not the easiest thing to do, but you know, you're there for them. Um, I don't believe it's in things. It can't ever be in things because things fade and go away. But the the love that a parent gives you, that's the most important thing that, um, that you can ever get that never fades away. Even when they go, you'll remember that they loved you. And how did you, can you talk about the first time you saw your father, how old you were when you finally remember that meeting? Cause you said that you were, he, he wasn't what you expected, which I also want to ask you about because your sisters kind of warned you a little bit, or maybe they didn't specifically warn you, but they, they had scary memories of your father. So when you were about yes. to meet him, did you have those, those images of, that your sisters had in mind, or had you just decided that those were probably not accurate? I thought he was going to be this hard drinking, you know, very off standoffish kind of guy. And he wasn't, he wasn't, he was better than that. I do remember that. And, uh, it was probably junior high, maybe, maybe high school where I really remember getting to spend time with him and talking to him and, and learning about him, the things he did, the things he liked to do. I was inquisitive. I asked a lot of questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Were you in the same town? No, we were probably about 12 hours apart. So that's why it was probably only every other summer that we got together. Mm-hmm. And had he expressed interest in seeing you? How did that first or second summer come about? It was us. My my next sister closest to me and I wanted to see him. So we asked if okay. we could spend the time with, with our dad uh, while my mom spent time with her family that was down there. Because when they divorced... It was difficult on her because you didn't get divorced. And um, so we we had to basically, she said that she had to leave because she was very, she was judged very harshly for what had happened. And we went to East Texas and they stayed in South Texas and she would go down there and visit her family. My oldest sister would stay with her and then my my sister next to me would stay with me with my dad and uh, mm-hmm. his new family. Did did you mean that um, she was judged harshly for the divorce? Is that what you mean? Yes, my mom was, yes. But do you want, you know, what's your understanding of why she got divorced? He was drinking and uh, he was uh, beating her. Uh-huh. 
that's a that seems so unfair to be judged for trying to protect yourself and your your family, right? Right. But that was the seventies, I guess, in the valley, and mm-hmm. that's how people judged you by how you handled yourself and what you did. Did you keep it in the house or did you let someone else talk for you? Did you know that he had hurt your mom when you went to go visit him? I had heard. I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know for sure it did happen. And and it was um, when he was drunk. That's not an excuse. I'm not going to make an excuse for him. That's a pitiful excuse, if any. But um, he only ever did anything to anyone when he was drunk and that was pretty regularly when he was younger mm-hmm. and um did he by the time you went to go see him in the summers was he still drinking for the first couple yes uh he quit drinking after he uh he totaled or wrapped a car around a tree basically and he said that's it i'm done and he never took another drink again he, he was cold turkey. He never, ever, even in a harsh moment, even in a difficult time, did he ever take another drink. And I was there with him for a lot of years later on. Did he have other children? He had two. Uh, my my brother and sister, they're twins. It's an interesting thing to watch a parent show up in ways that they weren't able to show up for you. Definitely. I agree. It was difficult. I never hold, I never held, I guess I should say, any animosity toward my brother and sister. I love them. I love them more now than than when I first met them. And um, we went through a lot together because I did see them growing up. Because once they became older and I was out of high school and I could do what I wanted. I went and saw my dad more and saw them more and got to know them as people, you know, not just, Mm -hmm. not just the twins or not just, you know, them or the other family. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're they're good, good, good people. And I'm glad to call them my family. So what was your relationship like with your father as as you got older then? How often would you see him? I think you'd mentioned that you moved closer to where he lived. Well, that was after the Army and after working for Social Security for a lot of years. Um, I, uh, I saw my father's health declining, and I took an opportunity to take a job that was uh, in a town close to where he lived, but I lived in the same town where he did. And uh, that was probably from 2006 to 2009. So for three years, we lived in the same town. He would come see my son play football. He would, um, he went to different events when he still could. He, he ended up the last few years of his life on dialysis. And then he was blind from uh, retinopathy from diabetes. Mm-hmm. but um, he was still there. Mm-hmm. He was always um, mentally present. Um, and we grew very close. 
before that, there was a picture I sent you. That's my dad and I. Uh, that's the one that says BFFs. <laughs> yeah. That's my that's my dad and I. I took him to a Dallas Cowboys game. And in the background, you'll see my son. That's him that not wanting to take a picture, but climbing up on something. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> But I think that was the time. That was about 2005 when we finally made amends, I think, for everything. And he just said, um, you know, I'm sorry. And I was like, for what? I didn't, I didn't know what was happening at, at the time. And I didn't know how this would affect me in the long run. But he said, I'm sorry for everything that happened. You know, I didn't, I didn't mean for any of that to happen with me and your mom. I didn't mean for the drinking, for anything, for your sisters. I just wish I could have done it differently and could have done it better. And, and it took me back. Like I said, I wasn't prepared for that. If he had sat me down and said, I got something major to tell you, then I probably would have been prepared. <laughs> prepared. But um, when he just apologized on, of his own of his own accord and just said I was wrong, it surprised me because it showed me how human a parent can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is when you already were a dad, right? This is when I was a dad. And um, and I was trying to decide what kind of dad I wanted to be because I had grown up around my, my stepdad who wasn't too emotional or it wasn't emotional, really. The only time I ever saw him cry, really cry, was twice when my grandmother passed away. And when he saw me do uh, the lead in the play, I never sang for my father. Hmm. And uh, the way he held back his tears is he says, were you reading that somewhere? And I was, (laughs) and I kind of laughed because it was a stage production. And I said, no, I memorized it all. He goes, well, you did good. And then he cried a little bit. Hmm. And, uh, but my dad, dad, He cried, the one time I saw him cry was when his mother passed away. Mm-hmm. And that was it. He wasn't really, he was a thinker, not a, not really a, a crier or a getting angry. Well, he would have his outbursts at different things. <laughs> I laugh because... Well, I laugh because he went to a chicken place once, a fried chicken place, and he got there and they said, sorry, sir, right now we're all out of chicken. He goes, how can you be out of chicken when all you sell is chicken? (laughs) And he said, I'm never going back there again. (laughs) And he never went back there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like when he determined it, like when he made his mind up to do things, like he's like, I'm done drinking. I'm done done with this chicken place. When, When he apologized to you, when you weren't expecting it, were you able in, in those moments to take it in? Do you think? No, not at all. Not, not as deeply as I've taken it in over the years. And since I've lost him, uh, and realized really the depth of, uh, that a person has to go to, to kind of, um, reach inside themselves and say that, 
It, it was difficult for him, I think. It would be difficult, I think, for anyone to apologize for something that is so long gone and something that isn't being held against him. I never held it against him. I let it go. Long ago, I had let it go. But I appreciated what he had to go through, I think, mentally to say that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it sounds like it soothes you. Like, as the years go by, it sounds like it's sort of a touchstone. It is. It, it was a great moment. And uh, in the last few years of his life, he passed away in 2017. We moved up here in 2009, and I remember crying on the way out of town because I said, I probably won't ever see him again. My wife mm-hmm. said, you'll see him again. I got to see him a couple more times. He was just as witty, just as alert as ever. And we talked every single day on the phone. I called him. And one day I asked my stepmom, you know, do I call too much? And she goes, if you don't call, he asks if you've called yet. So just Mm -hmm. call him. Mm -hmm. And the last time I got to talk to him was the day that he passed away. And it was just an inane conversation. They usually were, you know. How you doing? What's going on? Did you uh, catch anything? Because he liked to watch or I guess listen to uh, like true TV and mystery shows and this and that. Mm -hmm. But then that day, for some reason, he says, you know what? I don't dislike Home Depot, but I don't think I ever went back there again after, you know, something happened. You know, just like the chicken plays, just like everything else. And I said, no, you've got to let some of these things go. And he started laughing. He cracked up. And then that night, (laughs) in the middle of the night, my sister called. And and she said that we're losing him. He had had a heart attack. Mm. And um, I never got to talk to him again. I didn't get to see him alive again. Uh, he lasted to the next day, and then the doctor said that they had to, they had to call it because um, they were doing more damage trying to keep him alive than anything else. Mm-hmm. That sounds hard. It was. I flew down by myself, and um, had to say my goodbyes. Mm-hmm. It was. It was another funny thing because my dad appreciated the kind of absurd things in life. <laughs> and just as they were finishing up, there was another per, uh, another party, uh, a funeral going on. And uh, it was a military funeral. And just as they were finishing the prayer for him, they did the 21 gun salute. And then my sister looked over at me and I looked at her and I said, Man, he'd get a kick out of that, wouldn't he? He got a 21-gun salute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he didn't have to do anything for that. He didn't have to do anything. He just got it, and then he got taps, so. (laughs) What do you think is the reason why you were able to let things go? You said you didn't hold it against him the way that he wasn't there for you when you were younger, and do you think there's something about you? You know, do you think it's just like a, a luck thing or just a decision you made? I I don't really hold grudges. 
Um, if you dislike me, you mm -hmm. dislike me. Um, I'm not going to hold it against you. I've had people, I've had people that don't like me and for whatever reason, I've been nice to people. I've been mean to people. Um, I can't always say I've been the nicest person, but I did what I thought was best in the moment. And uh, the decision to, to basically, I say to forgive my father was a simple one. He was a person. He made mistakes. And no matter how difficult or how bad those mistakes were, or, you know, what choices we make in the moment afterward, it's important that we either forgive and move on or we have to live in that same moment over and over again and it's not worth it. Just, I mean, that's just like banging your head against the wall and saying, well, next time it'll break. Bang mm -hmm. your head against the wall and <laughs> next time it'll break. It's not going to break. You're just going to keep banging your head into that wall and it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's some peace and just if you can get there, right? Right. So how has your fatherhood been informed by your childhood? How did you take to fatherhood? I... I drank for a long time and, um, but I never laid a hand on anyone. Uh, I did not expect to hear that from you. I, it's funny. I, I didn't, I should have asked you what your relationship to alcohol was. So can you talk about that a little? I was too friendly with alcohol. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I have, uh, in the last several months quit completely. Um, now that my children are older and can see me for what I am, I see me for what I am. And um, I didn't want to continue to be that guy that stumbled around or I definitely didn't want to be that guy that was mean to them for no reason or that they didn't, they didn't do something, didn't deserve to... Uh, get my retaliation so i quit i just i went dry completely and it's been good for me mentally it it cleared my head of of everything i i have never i don't think i've uh, quit this long in my adult life when did you when did you start drinking and and did you have a sense that maybe you had a unhealthy relationship to alcohol for a while or like I'm curious about this trajectory it was for a long time yes I had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol it was um consistent uh I mean you've got to imagine that being in the military it was just a lot of I was in artillery at the time where it was all males and it was just testosterone <laughs> and you had to be the toughest or you had to be the strongest or you had to be the one who could drink the most or you had to be something to make you stand out and you had to be that guy I was the guy that could drink and amongst my buddies and all my buddies we were just power drinkers and 
thought we ruled the world. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's sad. It's mm. sad to live that way. Um, Does that mean you drank every day or when you drank, it was just hardcore? It was every day. Mm. And how did that work when you would see your father, knowing that he had quit and knowing that he had had a bad relationship with alcohol? How did you negotiate your relationship with alcohol? Yeah, I had a difficult times dealing with seeing him. And even later on, you know, I knew he didn't drink, so I wouldn't offer him any. But, you know, like we'd have we'd come over and watch fights at my house or something like that. And he would come in and um, nobody would bother him. They knew he didn't drink and everybody drank around him and he was comfortable like that. I think, I don't know. I never considered it. That's an interesting question. Did you get concerned about yourself prior? I mean, it sounds like you stopped a couple months ago, but did, when did you start to grow concerned and did you draw any parallels or fear that you were like your father at all? Probably in the last three years or so, I would quit and I would start and I would quit and I would start. It is kind of like the old joke where it says, yeah, I quit drinking last night, <laughs> you know, um, but uh then I decided for me, I need, I needed it to be for me. It can't be for anybody else. You can't, you can't stop bad habits for other people. You have to stop them for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's the important thing that uh, a lot of people who want you to quit and say, um, like interventions and stuff like that. I, I don't think that would have ever worked for me because I would have felt pressured from outside and um and it wouldn't have been me it wouldn't have been me making the decision right when other people make a decision for you it's not as clear you're not as cognizant of the decision because you're probably cloudy anyway mm -hmm. and um, maybe not as invested either right you're definitely definitely not as invested but you keep making compromises and promises and then one day it hits you crystal clear. I went through a program um, and it wasn't like inpatient or anything like that. It was just a program to help me with mental health and with my drinking and learning new coping skills. Mm -hmm. And it really helped. Yeah. Um, there, you know, you don't have to drink if you have a, a skill that you can use. I I've, um, took up writing a lot more. Uh, I, I did my podcast and uh, I work on that weekly. I do research for another podcast. I try to stay as busy as I can. Yeah. Did your family, did your wife and kids, have they noticed a difference or ha had, had they been pretty insulated from your behavior around alcohol or did they, were they encouraging of your new behavior? They haven't mentioned anything. Um, and I think that's out of just respect to say, you know, hey, it doesn't make a difference to us, but we noticed, you know, kind of thing. But um, I got tired of saying, you know, I quit mm -hmm. because I would quit. And then I would have a 
beer a week later. Mm -hmm. So I just haven't said I quit until I went to do my physical this year and I realized it had been months. I said, you know what? I quit. <laughs> they said, any, any alcohol intake? And I said, no, I quit. Mm -hmm. And it, and it just came out so easily. And I, I, I like that. I like that feeling. Yeah. It's interesting too, how it, you kind of followed in your father's footsteps there. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's addiction in families is really difficult. It's a, it's definitely a destroyer. Yes, it, it was for us, but I didn't let it be for my family. Mm -hmm. For my little unit we have here, uh, we made it through it. Mm -hmm. So fatherhood for you, would you say it's been what you wanted it to be so far? So far, yes. Uh, my kids are good kids. Um, some bumps in the road here and there, but overall really good kids. Um, they're fun. They have good sense of humor and, uh, they're happy. And I think, mm -hmm. I think more than anything, I, I just want my kids to be happy, then healthy. Then anything that comes behind that is like just gravy on top, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, yes, I see that. So I would like to know a little bit about where I can learn more about your work and, you know, where I can find your podcast and anything else you do creatively. Okay. Well, um, my podcast is on Spreaker.com. You can look up The 80s Hour. And what I talk about every week is pretty much just what it sounds like. Anything 80s, uh, from video games to television shows to movies to music what was hot in the eighties, um, <laughs> you know, what wasn't so hot, what were, what were the trending, uh, things like parachute pants and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so th that's what I enjoy. Those were my teen years. Those were your yeah. teen years, you know, yeah. so you can remember them fondly. You can remember, you probably had the big hair sometimes and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm laughing cause you're right. <laughs> yep. The bigger, the better, right? <laughs> but um, it um, it's just about fun. How fun the eighties were, yeah. And uh, it it it's just a glance backwards. That's all it is. And I enjoy <laughs> doing that every week. Um, uh, it's also you can find information about me and the podcast on Juan Alaman. I, I, because I am the second dot com. And, um, let's see what else that should be just about it of, uh, where you can find me and anything about the podcast or anything about voiceovers or acting like my acting reel, things like that. I appreciate you having me on so much, but by the way, before we wrap up or anything like that, uh, it's been a pleasure, pleasure talking to you. You know, I, I am so glad that we connected. I, I, I'm grateful for your, you know, your introspection and your willingness to share your experience. And thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> 
Um, do you have any kind of anything you you think you think fathers should know or or sons or daughters should know, like something that you think about a lot beyond this interview or, you know, something that you have learned that you really want others to understand or know about parenthood or fatherhood or forgiveness? I think if I'm, if I was to tell anyone, any one piece of advice, it would be that forgiveness is a two way street and you can't walk it alone. You have to have the buy-in from the person that you've either wronged or has wronged you. Because if you aren't both willing to forgive, then there's not going to be any forgiveness there. It'll be the same thing over and over. Yeah. I, uh, do you miss your dad still? Do you miss him? Every day. I still want to pick up that phone and call him. I would call my mom and I would call him and um, I miss them every day. I wish I could talk to either one of them. Mm-hmm. But um, I think um, that as long as I keep them in my heart, they're fine. As long as I keep them in my mind, and I have them. I can I can tell stories about them, things they did, things they said. That way they never go away. That way my kids know about their grandparents. Yeah. I agree. Thank you so much, Juan. Thank you, Ronit, again uh, for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode and other interviews you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends and take a minute and rate and review so that others can hear these stories too. Thanks for listening.